Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Alsona Lloyd, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today in our latest mini-series called The Rundown, Housing Wire lead analyst Logan Motoshami discusses what the jobs data, changes in the bond market, and the Omicron variant could mean for housing. He also explains why he doesn't expect mortgage rates to rise in 2022 and why he's raised his first recession warning flag. Well, thank you for listening, and here's a brief word from our sponsor. Regora is an appraisal management software company dedicated to modernizing residential appraisal and valuation. With configurable automations and embedded LOS and POS integrations, Regora brings speed, transparency, and control to the appraisal process. Lenders across the country are seeing impressive efficiency gains and cost reductions with Regora's platform, including a 213% increase in appraisal capacity, a 35% reduction in turn times, and saving 20 minutes per loan file. Learn more at regora.com. That's R-E-G-G-O-R-A dot com. Welcome back to the Rundown Podcast. Super excited on this Monday morning to be here again with Logan Motoshami, Housing Wire's lead analyst. Logan, welcome. It's great to be here on this Monday morning. Oh, we had so much going on over the weekend. Um, so let's first let's recap the fact that on Friday you wrote a, uh, your jobs report, which you usually do for your blog. You have now started writing that for for Housing Wire. So uh, tell us what happened with the jobs report. Yes, and for myself, as always, my job is to kind of uh, connect the dots with people with the progression of the expansion to the recession to the recovery to the expansion stage. So the jobs reports for me is a really big deal, and I highlight all the variables in the jobs data to show where we are in the labor market. And again, uh, this is much different than the 2008 recovery. Uh, job openings are over 10 million already. Uh, jobless claims uh, just two weeks ago had the lowest print since 1969. So. Uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of headwind to uh, uh, or a lot of way to go until we get all the jobs back that we lost to COVID nineteen. But I always thought that it'll be by September of twenty twenty two or before. You know, people think that there's this massive labor market sitting there waiting for jobs. That isn't true. Uh, uh, most functioning people who want to work are working, right? So you just have to marginally take the civilian labor force growth and where the jobs are going. So it's not shocking to me that. All the jobs aren't back, but again, we're in a much mature stage in the in the economy. So, in that jobs report, which had lots of charts and lots of uh, uh, data in it, uh, the 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 missing labor force or the highest unemployment rate are those without a high school education. This typically is the case, and it had a big jump down in the unemployment rate. We're about five point seven percent for for that group. So, there isn't a massive amount of labor that's out there that people think, but we should be able to get all the jobs back by September of 2022. But we're also at the stage where we're really talking about the Fed, the first Fed rate hike. And that really, for me now, the two-year yield becomes very important. So my kind of rule of thumb is that when the two-year yield gets above uh, 0.56%, which uh, it did recently, then the first Fed rate hike is on. And the big, the big economic factor is that typically the dollar 
gets stronger or has this biggest significant run before the first Fed rate hike. So does that crush commodity prices? Does that lower inflation? So one of the things that uh, I'm trying to relate to people is that don't put all your eggs in the higher mortgage rate basket just yet. You know, uh, I, there was a reason why I said, you know, that 1.94% is a very crucial and critical level. And as we see recently, that that channel that we talked about all the way back in April 7th of 2020, America's back recovery model. If the recovery does happen in 2020, in 2021, we need that 1.33 to 1.60 level. And again, with a super hot economy, bond yields are still going down. And it looks perfectly normal to me if you respect the long-term downtrend in the 10-year yield since 1981, which means the long-term downtrend in mortgage rates as well. Well, you know, I know you had a ton of questions over the weekend from readers and from people who follow you about that bond rate range. So can you, can you talk a little bit more about why it's important that it stays in that channel? Well, if it stays in the channel, that means it's going to be, it was going to be very difficult to get above 1.94% in 2021. So a lot of I would say a lot of bearish takes on housing was uh, mortgage rates getting to four or five uh, percent. Not the case, right? So I always tell people take a chart of the ten-year yield, go back to 2012, look at 2018 in November, three and a quarter percent. I remember that because I was at a conference trying to tell people rates were going to go down in 2019. Uh, Take a little crayon, draw that line down. You can see why we're holding at these levels. But also go back to 2012, draw the line at that 1.33%. Guess what? Friday, we hit 1.33. We bounced off of that. I think the 10 years at 1.38%. Technicals matter here. And this is why mortgage rates have not gotten above 3.75%, which is something I talked about in the summer of uh, 2020, that if, if you want to make like housing is going to cool down or days on market is going to grow, you need the 10-year yield above 2%, just not part of the forecast. So the bond market and mortgage rates look about right to me, but I think it's confusing to people because <clears throat> you have a super hot economy, you have hot inflation data. If mortgage rates don't go up on this, when will it? So I think that's a good discussion because a lot of forecasts on 2022 is that Mortgage rates have to rise because of inflation and growth. Well, this is the year. This is the year where economic growth is going to be the hottest, you know, in a very long time. The rate of growth of inflation is hot. So economic growth, the rate of growth is going to cool down. And if inflation cools down, is that a valid premise that it's going to rise next year? So uh, do we get over over 2%? This is why I consistently talk about that 1.94% level all the way back in 2019, too. So Bond yields, mortgage rates doesn't necessarily go uh, so much on what the economy is going as long as that downtrend is being respected. So I think that that that's the big confusion this year. A lot of people are thinking that rates have to go higher now, but no, technicals are working here. Well, and I think for our audience, especially mortgage rates are, you know, top of mind. They always want to know about that. And you are one of the people uh, we talked about the last uh, week who really are saying you don't expect mortgage rates to get to 4% next year. In fact, you, you think they might go down. So a lot of people made their forecasts in the last month and the bond yields have gone down. So mortgage rates haven't had that big velocity move uh, on it. But if I keep my same channel, 62 basis points of 1.94%, this is what I've done always, you know, in 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So I, I, I like to do ranges, right? So let's go all the way back to 2014 when the taper was like finishing, like the Fed was winding down its taper and QE3 ended. 
During that entire phase, bond yields went down and mortgage rates went down. So if growth slows next year, if the Federal Reserve is hiking rates to slow the economy, if commodity prices get crashed you know, or get hit because the dollar is getting stronger, is this the environment for higher mortgage rates? It sounds like an environment where rates can go back down a little. Now, if it stays in that channel, you know, 2.375, 2.5 is probably the low end. The high end is 3.375, 3.65. You know, this isn't the... 100% sure mortgage rates are going to go up. So don't wait until you get conviction by the 10-year yield saying, okay, we're moving up higher. Like I can go against my own work and say that if the world economies are maybe moving together and, and, and there's no more variance and supply chains are over, that all bond yields rise together. That is not happening. And this is the year that has the hottest growth and hottest inflation. So there is more at play here than just the economics. Really great points. And actually, you know, talking about the other variables, we have now the fifth wave of, of COVID and a new variant. So, you know, how does that play into what you're looking at? For the well, what we've learned after the second surge uh, in 2020, that the United States of America, as crazy as this sounds, we have learned to consume goods and services with an active virus infecting and killing us. Not only learn to consume, retail sales is off the charts. Like it is deviated from a historical trend that I've never seen. And I'm the guy who's always at years 2020 to 2024, household uh, consumption, uh, spending, housing will be, will, will be different than the previous expansion. And it's just Unbelievable how much we consume. A lot of it is on the good side. So the service sector is probably going to get uh, picked up. So this is the fifth wave. You know, cases are rising, hospitalizations rising. Will the uh, Omnicom variant, two, two, two things working together. Does this really change the, the, the parameters that we're going to go back to March uh, and April of 2020? I don't think so. We've, we've, we've gone past that stage. Uh, uh, so is this going to be something where the economy is going to slow down just a little bit until uh, everything gets? Maybe that'll be the case because we saw that with Delta. But again, the, we are in expansion mode, right? Because why majority of people are working? When majority of people are working and wages are up, that means they have income, they spend. That's the big thing. The U.S. is a consumption-based economy. As long as people are spending, rates are low, you know, housing will be fine. Uh, you can see this in retail sales. Even with how hot inflation is, uh, uh, wages are up and people are spending a lot of money. Now, the disaster relief, a lot of the excess income and savings have been winding down, but the, the baseline, we have more people working and wages are up. So things have, we have legs to move this. Now, we are in a more mature stage of the economy. So one thing I did on Friday is I raised my first recession red flag, right? So I kind of have these multiple recession red flags early in a expansion. I wait for the unemployment rate to get to a certain level. For me, it was Friday, 4.2%. Uh, if you actually take people ages 20 and over, it's 4%. Uh, the two-year yield is already above a critical level. So we're kind of in that stage. The next recession red flag was when the Fed actually raises rates. And, we, and what I want to do is show the progression of an expansion into a recession, into the recovery phase over and over again. It's a moving variable. It doesn't end. I'm not one of these forecasts. Oh, the recession's happening on X date. That's not how you do economics, right? It's a progression. We connect the dots. We want to be the detective. We don't want to be the troll. And I just want to say to all my housing crash trolling friends of 2021 who whiffed in 2020, you still have time to move <laughs> your 2021 worthless housing crash to next year like you guys always do for 10 years now, what I call the lost decade.
The last decade. Ah, oh, always a pleasure on that one. Okay, well, let's talk about that a little bit. So when you say you you raise a recession red flag, it's not that you're saying we're in a, we're about to go in a recession. You're, you're just looking no. at the variables for you. It's I, like all yes. of these things would have to line up. Absolutely. I need about six things before I go on recession watch. Now, what happened is in the previous expansion, only three of my red, uh, uh, recession red flags were up. The economic data was actually getting better toward the end of 2019 and 2020, like January and February, economic data was really good. Housing authentically broke out the first time in 15 years in February. We got that data in March and that's when uh, uh, COVID hit us. But if you just remember that, you know, it's a pause and then the V-shaped recovery, and then we moved on because the underlying economics were there. So we literally had 10 years, the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded history with no real recessionary data. It was a global pandemic. It was a very quick recession. It was a fast recovery. We're in another stage. At some point, all my recession flags will be up, similar to what we saw during the in 2006, uh, right before the Great Recession. And then we could go into a different, a different uh, discussion. But number one is raised. When the Fed raises the, when they start the Fed rate hike, that's number two. And there's four more after that. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But again, my job is to show progression, right? Connect the dots, be the detective, not the troll. And even though you you said the words 2006, I know that you would say this is not 2008 all over again. People should not be expecting some sort of giant crash. I Unfortunately, we have a lot of bearish Americans that, you know, if housing doesn't crash, their kind of life is, is, is meaningless, right? This is why they spend every single day for 10 years. Housing's gonna crash, housing doesn't crash. These are not economic people, they're not data people. You can see about how they talk, uh, how they use charts. They, they don't have the training. So naturally being wrong from 2012 to 2019, COVID, they thought, COVID they thought was their savior. And it wasn't, right? It was the greatest head fake. And you can actually see the who are who's not trained about talking about housing networks and those who are trained. And there was no discussion about credit profiles, demographics, mortgage rates. And in 2020, they went all in. And what they always do, they move the gold posts out of the stadium. And now it's 2020. It failed almost worse in 2021 than 2020. So uh, every every economic cycle is unique. Uh, and you have to look at the variables within that cycle. Where is the overheating uh, sector? Uh, where is the overinvestment? We have such high such hot economic data that I think it's the first time that people has ever seen a hot economy. So data is going to cool. Be careful. Like we did uh, earlier this year, housing data was going to moderate. Don't overread it. And they did. They We literally wrote that said they're going to overread the purchase application data showing negative year over year. They're not going to do COVID adjustments. They're going to say, oh, it's negative housing crashing. What happened? It reversed right in front of their eyes. So everyone in America can be proud that mother demographics, the American people, utterly destroyed the housing crash fanatics for 10 years, especially in 2020 and 2021, because you can't live in the past. You have to let it go. <laughs> I know that's you, you. This is your mission, Logan. You are helping people let it go uh, one, one at a time. So last you can't week, let trolls and orcs run around in the wilderness without <laughs> <being> contested. <laughs> So last week you wrote for us, um, you looked at pending home sales and um, wrote a great article for that last week. What are you looking at this week? What are you going to be reporting on? So what I'm going to write is the, the big concern is always for me. And one of the reasons why it's funny, I, I always talk about how this is the most unhealthiest housing market 
post-2010, but it's for different reasons. It's the days on market and inventory where we had plenty of inventory to keep sales growing in 2008 to 2019, right? The days on market created a functioning housing market. Here is inventory crashed in 2020, crashed in 2021. It increased. We had the seasonal increase. And what I want to see is that for the for now is for inventory not to break to all-time lows in the spring of 2022, right? You know, so one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight the forbearance crash bros so much is that they thought inventory would escalate, right? Kind of like how uh, 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 the velocity level of a stock almost, that inventory would skyrocket. That's not how it works. So what we're seeing right now is the seasonality of inventory. We want to focus on that this week and what levels we don't want to see. We don't want to see inventory break to all-time lows. And hopefully what I think is going to happen is that we're probably going to be a little bit higher uh, uh, going into the spring of 2022 than we had in the spring of 2021. And that will be bullish because we want more days on market so people have choices. You see less bidding war because think about we would have so much headway with prices in years 2020 to 2024. But again, the fear is when inventory breaks as demand picks up, you have this, such a low inventory that it creates bidding wars. We want that to end. We want a B&B marketplace, boring and balanced, right? We don't want this kind of hot housing market anymore. So that's the focus of this week in the article, right? And when we're at key levels uh, uh, to look at and when we could, when I could finally say it's not an unhealthy housing market anymore, because I'm really getting tired of saying that, but it is what it is. Demand works in miraculous ways. Inventory goes down as demand picks up. It's funny, strange how that works. Well, you know what? Um, everyone can look at your jobs uh, coverage from Friday. Uh, really great there. And look for your next article tomorrow on Tuesday um, and looking at inventory. So can't wait to read it. Uh, thank you so much, Logan, for giving us a rundown. It's my pleasure. And I can't wait to do this every Monday for a very long time. Sounds great. Talk to you later. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Elsina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.